You're listening to the FYI podcast where we talk about all things from your faith, your life, adulting, relationships, finances. Today, we're talking about your mental health. I'm Josiah Keneally. And I'm Mikey Keneally. And we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in because we launch new episodes every single Friday. We want to see you end your week strong and begin your weekend even stronger. So if you're listening and you want some friends to tune in, please subscribe, rate, review, pose your questions. You as the audience have a lot of questions about mental health, anxiety, depression. How do I deal with it? What do I do with it? What is it? And all those layered questions that many of you are asking. So that is what we're going to lean into today. And we are joined again by one of our favorite guests that we just, he can't get rid of us, I don't think. So Josiah, who is that special guest? Well, let's bring on Dr. John Deloney. What's up, man? What's up? How are we doing? We're doing so good. We love the fall weather here in Minnesota and we're hanging on before that snow comes, I guess. (laughs) I bet the fall weather there is the depth of winter for me growing up in Texas. Just fall weather in Minnesota. Is it even, is it above freezing? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was like 65 this whole week. Yeah. If it goes 65 in Texas, it just shuts the whole state down. In Tennessee, we're kind of in the middle, but. (laughs) We saw you here. It was uh, smart money maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was, it was an event. um, Was it? The spring? It had to have been. I think there was snow on the ground and it was a lot colder. It was yes. pretty cold that day. It was like yeah. whipping wind. I was like, oh gosh, this poor team comes every time. <laughs> oh. Oh, fantastic. And so we're talking with Dr. John Deloney today. He's a best-selling author, mental health expert, and host of the Dr. John Deloney Show. He has two PhDs, um, a lot of experience in counseling, crisis response, and higher education. Dr. John's goal is to help you navigate tough decisions, improve your relationships, and believe you're worthy of being well. And talk about that to launch us today, Dr. John, of what does it mean to be well? What's your hope for maybe a college student who feels like, man, I'm overwhelmed with life. Mm -hmm. I'm weighed down by things. I'm carrying a lot of baggage. Paint a picture for them of what does it mean to be well? a great question and it's funny i've done about a million interviews and i don't think someone's asked me that question yet like what's a picture of that look like um because my initial thought to that question is i think the the simple non-true answer to a college student who feels weighed down by a lot is to shed all that weight because i want to look at a college student and say no if you're doing college right it's hard and you have a lot of classwork and you have a lot of um, financial issues and you have a lot of personal responsibility. You have a lot of trying to figure out what you believe and is this what you want to do with your faith and your belief and with your body and with all those, like with your romantic relationship, like relationships. And I I don't think the answer there is to um, just shed all that weight. So I think in, in if I'm looking at a, talking to a college student and we're sitting down having coffee, what does being well look like? I think that is, are you taking care of yourself in a way that allows you to continue on the path that is going to get you where you can best realize um, your place of, of service in the world? And that means carrying really heavy things and doing hard stuff a lot of the time. And that means 
skipping fun things and doing hard things and staying up too late sometimes and getting up too early sometimes and working long hours and all those things. But you're also taking care of your body and you're taking care of your faith and you're taking care of your relationships and you're doing the things you need to do so that you can keep going back and doing those hard things and get wherever it is you, you're going to end up going. Oh, I love that you went there even with like, you don't want to shed it. Like you want to walk through it. And I think sometimes even when you're in the gym and you're strength training, you don't want to be benching a hundred pounds. You, your goal is 200 yeah. pounds, but I mean, we're in this training ground where college is a great incubator for personal growth, personal development, personal awareness, self-awareness of how we spend our time, where we spend our money. What do we say yes to? What do we say no to? And I think even we talked to 40, 50, 60 year olds, we're like, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but I know that I'm doing what God's called me to do. And until he says, no, I'm going to stay right here and staying in the classroom or you've maybe enrolled in the military and you're tuning in and just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I think when they're bombarded with all these questions of future kind of just paralyzes them in a form of anxiety of like, I don't even know what I'm going to have for supper tonight, let alone where I'm going to be in five years. I don't have a plan. So what what, what we're doing right now didn't exist 15 years ago. Exactly. This wasn't a thing, right? Like the way we're communicating, the technology we're communicating on and the platform we're using and the podcast, none of this existed. And so I'm way less, I, I, we talk about, we may have talked about this before. One of my pet peeves, man, is we talk about calling and faith communities as though you're born and God hides it. And your goal is to find your calling. It's somewhere hidden. And when you find it, everything just magically lines up. And that is so it's so much nonsense i think it's a way that faith-based universities get students to way 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 overpay for their like hey we will help you find your calling i'm way more concerned about a college student doing the hard work of figuring out who they're gonna be on wherever it is they end up um who are you going to become If you end up having to wait tables for a season, who are you going to become when you get that first job, when you become partner in the law firm, when you become president of your small company, who are you when that happens? I don't care what your job title is or where you end up, how much money you make, because um, that stuff's not important. Uh, What's important is who are you going to be as you're getting to wherever it is you're going to go. And I think you mentioned that, like, that's the work. That's the practice. You find out in college, like, I shouldn't have talked bad about her. I shouldn't have gossiped about her because now I'm having to pay the price socially for that. I knew I shouldn't do that. Now I'm experiencing it and I'm feeling it in real time. I'm going to make a commitment right now at 19 years old to not talk bad about people when they're not in the room. I'm just going to I'm just going to make that a part of who I am. I had a set of values when it came to um, um, intimacy and I didn't hold true to that value. And now I'm sitting in like this feeling and this shame or this regret or this frustration or this, whatever that is, I'm going to make a commitment that when I make a value and I anchor it in, I'm going to stick to it because I'm worth that. Right. I think that's what we're practicing and learning. And that's way more important than, are you going to have like some podcast? Like who knows what 15 years is going to look like from now. Right. And so I think I'm way more concerned about that stuff. Yeah, that's so good. Oh my gosh, I think that's why it's important to hold things loosely because um, 
God is so much more concerned about who we're becoming in the process of who he's designed us to be and becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like the image of God uh, and being his hands and feet. And I keep coming down to that word that I'm hearing you say is being, and we're human beings. We're not human doings. And we are masterpieces created by God to do, but it's from an overflow. Would you say it's from an overflow of who we are though? Um, sometimes if you're lucky, um, I think there's a lot of people working jobs cause they have to feed their family. And there's a lot of people like building roads that would love to be in the air conditioning, right. Or in Minnesota winter building roads and they'd love to be inside with the heater. Right. Oh, true. Um, I don't know that that's an outflow as much as the person they are. They're a person that takes care of their family and they're yeah. a person that holds commitments and they're a person that says, I do. And I do means cold, hard winters outside because that's my trade. And so, um, again, I, 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 if you're lucky, you get to do this thing that you have fallen in love with and it's great, but you, you we all know that podcasting is not always the greatest thing and you do the greatest interview ever and it gets no, like way less traction than you thought it was going to, or you say that one thing and you just, it haunts you all week. Like, I can't believe I said that in that interview. Oh my gosh. All right. And um, so it's not all roses. And, and so I, yeah, I think if you're lucky, it's the outflow, but I think most people, most of the time are working because they have to. And I think God's way more concerned about our hearts in those moments than the fireworks and the curtain calls. Yeah, that's so good. And we know that you just released a book the most recent book is a non-anxious life. Can you even just talk about what is for, for the listener? Cause I think so many times we have like blanket statements. Oh, I'm anxious. Oh, I'm depressed. Oh, I'm whatever. But it's actually broken down into different categories from what mm-hmm. we've learned from people like yourself of it's not just this, it's so much deeper than that. So just a reminder for the listener, like what is anxiety and what is anxiety not? Hmm. Um, Anxiety is so, so. Let me let me back up. The reason I wrote this book is this. Um, well, one because my publisher said this is what you need to write on. That's that's just me being honest. But big picture, um, I had this epiphany several years ago as a mental health nerd, and it haunted me. More people than ever before in human history are under the care of a mental health professional, and more people than ever before in human history are under the are taking some sort of medication for quote unquote mental health disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we have more access to more people than ever before in human history. The three of us could push a button on our phone and send out a message to more than a million people right this second. That's insane. Connectivity. We have little faucets where water just comes into our homes and little buttons that we push and it takes the waste out of our house. We have, we could push a button on our phone and food just shows up. We have everything. And the, mental health diagnostics, the the anxiety, the depression, the OCD, the ADHD, all of that stuff continues to be an almost a vertical trend line. And so we have to ask ourselves a scary question, especially as a mental health guy. What if what we're doing is not working? What if this idea that our bodies are broken is wrong? What if when we're anxious, our bodies are right? What questions would we have to ask about our environment, our relationships, the way we're treating our bodies, our spiritual life? What kind of questions would we have to ask if anxiety was right? If when our bodies feel a season of depression, 
that they're trying our body's trying to protect us it's not broken yeah. and that was a haunting question that i went down a rabbit hole to try to look at and so now i've really made peace all anxiety is man it's just a smoke detector in your kitchen just letting you know that it smells smoke it's your it's your light on your dashboard in your car that's it that's it you're not broken there's nothing wrong with you um there is some occasional neurological disorders that have anxious feelings with it. But for most of us, it's just simply a an indicator that things aren't OK. Anxiety is not a genetic disorder. Anxiety is not a disease. Anxiety is not a um, a badge of honor. It's not a identity like, well, I just have anxiety, so I can't fill in the blank. That's not true. Mm-hmm. And so. I think it's looking at, okay, if my body feels anxious, what's it trying to protect me from? What is it detected in my world that's telling me I'm not safe? If you're a college student and you're 40 grand in debt and you're just entering into your junior year and you have exams, and if you don't pass these exams, you don't move on to your major classes, your body would be failing you if it wasn't anxious, right? Right. That's not something to solve. That's not something that to quit. You then have to ask yourself, okay, I've put myself in a tough season, rightfully so, great. Now what do I have to do? I'm going to have to study really hard. I'm going to have to go get that extra help. I'm going to have to skip the parties and study even harder. I'm going to have to take out of step out of school for a season and save some money because I got to quit borrowing money. I got to get some friends in my life. I got to go back to church. I got to do these things so that my body's okay and can swan dive into these hard situations that we've placed them in. The goal isn't to stop up, start avoiding all the scary stuff. Mm-hmm. It's to be anchored in so that we can go do the scary stuff. And so I've made peace with anxiety. Now, the scarier part of my life is not, why am I so anxious all the time? It is, oh boy, I got to have a hard conversation with my wife. Um, I'm going to have to circle back and go sit down with my pastor and have a hard conversation. Like, right. That's, that's the harder stuff about anxiety nowadays. Oh man. And we talked, gosh, about a year ago on the Young Adults Today podcast about anxiety, but also I think I had asked you maybe a question about parenting. We've got two little girls, they're three and a half and two. Mm -hmm. And I think you said something to the effect of, man, if you want to be a good dad, put down the phone and touch your kid's face. I think you said something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, I notice in my life, 2023 coming up, the door's knocking on 2024. Mm-hmm. And I look at the life that we're living and evaluate a little bit. And I think the source of so much unnecessary anxiety can come from right here. Quick example, mm-hmm. go to pick up the girls earlier this week. And um, they were both fighting each other for my attention. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I left the phone in the car and I just, Engaged. and so many times I've been guilty of not doing that. But, but a few days ago, I just had a small victory where I left it in the car and I just chased them around the yard. We just mm-hmm. had a really fun time. And, and I noticed that their anxiety was a little bit different. My own anxiety was a lot, a bunch different. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that, I mean, if you will, where my mind goes with this conversation is you know, half of the U.S. population found this in your book is reporting burnout in America. Um, the average college student in 2023 is experiencing the same amount of anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. So, 
there's something and loneliness is skyrocketed. You talked about that. Where my mind goes with this conversation is, are we doing it to ourselves unnecessarily with phones, with mm. digital world? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, um, there's a couple of thoughts on that. I was very, anti. I mean, <laughs> if you listen to my show, I'm, I am, I, I sound very anti-screen and I also want to be pro data. And so the data doesn't back up that social media has destroyed us or our phones have destroyed us. I think what the phone is, it's a giant adult pacifier. It allows me to not engage with the things my body's trying to tell me I need to do to be well, because those things are often uncomfortable. What you just painted is a beautiful picture of a dad and his daughters. But can I offer the other side of that? It's very boring running around with a three and a two year old. It's just boring. And it can be fun and silly for about seven minutes. And then I want to set my eyelashes on fire, right? Because I don't know what we're doing. And one kid just keeps crying. And then the other kid wants to like change the rules of the game right in the middle again and again and again. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening. And so it's mind-numbing and it's not quote-unquote fun all the time sometimes it is man my daughter and i got into a wrestling match yesterday before work and school in our kitchen floor i haven't laughed that hard in a calendar year it was <laughs> hilarious she's seven and it was off the rails and i was laughing so hard and she was that was genuinely i had a great time i haven't had that much fun in a long time but dude sometimes it's not fun and so I can avoid it. I can put in my big digital pacifier and just, I can just, it's Xanax my day. I can just disappear from my day, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what our phones allowed us to allow us to do is never experience the discomfort I have with my wife when we're, when we're distant from one another. I can never, I never have to experience, I don't know what to say to my 13 year old. I don't know what to say. I can just numb it out. I don't like I just got home from work and it was a bad last meeting and I'm kind of worried about if I'm going to get the promotion or not after all. And my phone lets me just disappear from that. And my body is screaming at me. Hey, no, we have to feel this. You need to go exercise. You need to call a friend. You need to get some wisdom. You need to go have a cup of coffee. You need to spend some time in prayer and meditation. My phone lets me like divert from all of that and so i think that it's the great evil of the digital experience is it allows us to be present in our lives without being there it is cool um, and i've had I, I meet people all the time um i met a, uh we had a big marriage retreat this weekend um there's a thousand people up here in nashville and more than one person pulled me aside and said i watched something from you on tiktok and i had a suicide plan and I watched a 30-second clip from you, and I paused, and I called somebody. Thank you. Right? So I, I have to own that social media, like when I put up a post, it goes to real human beings living real lives. That That's true, and so it's not all evil. But if you're using that at an ex, as, as an escape from reality, I think that's where it becomes dangerous. And I think that's how I use it. That's how most people I know use it. It's just a way to not experience the boredom and blah and reality of our lives. 
Maybe the boredom and blah is good for us that run at breakneck speed sometimes. I think I think our our bodies are desperate, and I and I think this is the neuroscience would back me up. I think our bodies are desperate for boredom. That's how it recalibrates. That's how you have actual thoughts. That's how you start to put things into order. And we just shove more info, more info, more info, more, more info. Um, that that statistic with the college students in anxiety. Um, I think it can be summed up. I think we've just created a world that our bodies weren't designed to live in. And then we get mad at our bodies for not being able to hold up. It's like taking a Camry like into the desert rock climbing. It's not, it's designed to go on roads and take moms to grocery stores. It's not designed to be an off-road vehicle, right? And then you can't get mad at the Camry for not being able to go down a rock face. And it's not a Jeep, right? And so I think we're doing that with our bodies on a daily basis. And then we're really mad at our bodies and it's not our body's fault. I think they're working pretty dang good. Oh, John, I think that's so good. And really just recognizing the fact that we all have choices, right? Yes. And when it comes to the choices that we have, the just the daily routines, the daily choices, like you've written about them to help the listener build and live a non-anxious life. What are some of those choices that you want to share with the audience today and just lean into that? Yeah, um, I think it's important on the front end of the choices is to say this. The pushback I'll always get is, oh, so I'm choosing to be anxious. I'm choosing ADHD. I'm choosing depression. And I always smile and say, no, nobody chooses that. No, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy because I experience a lot of those. What we do is we make choices way upstream and then our body sounds the alarms. And so while we're not choosing anxiety, I am choosing to not be intentional about the food I eat. I am choosing to just watch another Netflix show instead of going to have coffee with my friend. I am choosing not to to scroll on Pinterest and not have a hard conversation with my wife or to look at my budget and I'm just going to keep spending. So when it comes to these choices, I tried to break it down and say, okay, if somebody's really struggling with anxiety, yes, we can just give you medication and that's like climbing up and pulling the batteries out of the alarm system. There is a season for that. Like I, man, when I was super, super anxious, I was sick and I needed to turn the system off. Um, so that I could go see a counselor, so that I could walk back into a gym or a church, right? But instead of just trying to shut the s- alarm system off, what are some things we can do upstream that bo- deal with the fires, not the smoke detector? And so some of those things are as difficult slash simple as choosing health and healing. I'm going to choose to take care, be a good steward of my body. And if you look at the obesity literature, the diabetes literature, the metabolic issues, we have to start being honest with ourselves, not about the aesthetic of it all, but about how God gave us one body and he asks us to be a good steward of the temple. And we're not, we're just not. And it's hard and it's a grind. And I live that life too. I've got to make those choices also. And I'm worth that. My kids are worth that. My wife's worth that. Some of the choices are choosing freedom. If you owe $50,000 in student loans and you have a car payment and you're starting your first job and you sign a year lease, your body knows, your amygdala knows if you say the wrong thing at work or they do a round of layoffs so they can make their Q4 numbers for their shareholders and you get fired, you lose your home. You lose your food, you lose your car, and now the U.S. government, who's the largest holder of student loans in the United States, owns you. Your body would be failing you if it let you sleep all night because you are under threat, right? 
And so when I say choose freedom, I say be really, really quick to do whatever you have to do, even if it's two years or three years of working seven jobs to pay all that off. If your body knows the bank is deciding what you do tomorrow, not you, it's going to sound the alarms, right? Choosing freedom with your boundaries, with your calendar. When your parents say, you have to graduate in four years or you're no kid of mine. If your body's telling you, hey, this is too much, take a semester off. And you got to make some hard decisions about boundaries and about respect and dignity, all those things. But choose freedom. Some of the choices are um, about choosing mindfulness instead of jumping to judgment about everything and everyone jump to curiosity man i wonder why that guy cut me off i hope he makes it to the hospital in time to be with his wife before she passes which is different than i can't believe that kid he's just doing drugs and wants us all dead right like one of those is going to give us a stroke and one of those is going to lead us into empathy and peace i get i get to choose what story i make up and by the way none of those stories affect that driver None of the stories affect that person ahead of us at all. One will kill me and one will give me life, right? I get to pick. And so that's just some of the choices that we can make on a daily basis, kind of like brushing your teeth to over time create a non-anxious life. And some of those, if you owe a whole bunch of money, like me and my wife did, we owed hundreds of thousands of dollars. Then it, it took us a long, long time. Some of those, like I'm going to start choosing curiosity, you flip a switch. I'm going to choose to walk back into a gym, even though I'm I've, I'm ashamed and I feel self-conscious. I'm going back. I'm I'm tired of letting other people dictate what I do with my body. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go in. And some of those you can flip a switch and some of those are really, really hard. But those are some of the choices and there's several others. Good. Man, I love them. There's six choices that you talk about, kind of some of these daily decisions that can become habits of building uh, a non-anxious life. And where my mind went hearing you talk about those and, and reading the, the six choices in the book, um, you call them mindful, three of them, mindfulness, um, connection, and then even tethering, choosing to be tethered uh, into a purpose that's greater than ourselves. And I believe, I, yeah. I, I think of like how there's, there's research and data that would back this up, but we find those also in God's word. Right, and right. As pastors, we're passionate about helping people develop a biblical worldview in the next generation. And it's crazy sometimes, like I'm not a clinical psychologist or therapist or any of those, but what I can help you do is develop your prayer life and studying God's word and then plug you into God, godly community and help you with some of the decisions of how to build great friendships that honor God. And And it's crazy that then we see mindfulness, we see connection, and we see tethering ourselves into a purpose greater than ourselves. Sometimes I'm discouraged as a pastor on how limited I feel because I'm not a therapist. I'm not a clinician, if you will. But from hearing that, I'm actually encouraged that there's hope for people. And there's a role <laughs> that I can play in helping. Right. Well, I, I mean, there's there's a massive role you can play in helping. I think we have reached a place where we've over pathologized human life and we have, we, we under represent um, walking alongside hurting people and we, everything's got to be seen with a clinician and everything has to be a diagnostic. And I just don't believe that at all. Um, I, one of my favorite things to do over the last couple of decades is to read some earth shattering new study read some earth shattering new book 
and in the scientific community. And then to sit back and think, oh, yeah, I like that just as good as I read it the first time in the New Testament. That was cool. Right. <laughs> and that happens over and over and over. But it's not lost. I, the, the great Rich Mullins, we may have mentioned this before. One of my favorite quotes from Rich Mullins, he's a the famous songwriter and theologian, is that we so often over-spiritualize Jesus. And we just turn him into this guy floating around, I mean, this deity floating around on a cloud, just like almost like uh like the the good witch of the east in, you know, like dotting us on the head with like a little Harry Potter wand. Mm-hmm. And we miss the guy who sets out for three years on a journey that he knows gets going to get him killed. And the first thing he did was he got a gang. He got a group of guys to walk with him, a group of men and women to walk with him. And who am I to think I can go do my job every day in life alone? It's insane, right? How many of us just don't have time to meditate? I don't have time to go to counseling. And when this guy is saying, I don't have a place to lay my head down but I am going to make time to go by myself and pray. Like, who do I think I am? Right. If, if, if this guy rests, right. And when I think about anxiety and chaos and the world spinning and, oh my gosh, what's the government doing? And what's this guy doing? And then I look at the guy that fell asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm that all of his buddies were tripping out on. And I think I want, I want that human level of peace. And I think we over spiritualize it. Like that's a guy that's tethered in. That's a guy that's whole. And the most controversial chapter when, as I wrote this book, because I knew I'm a Christian guy and I, my, me and my family follow the teachings of Jesus and we, we, in God. And I knew it wasn't going to be quote unquote Christian enough for my faith community friends. And I also spent 20 years working with the, some of the most wonderful scientists who are great moms and dads and close friends of mine who are as atheist as the day is long. And I had to look at them in the eye too and say, hey guys, all of us, regardless of where you land, we've created a culture where we can, like I said, we can push a button on our cell phone and food shows up. We can turn a knob and water comes out. We've gotten really arrogant about our role in the universe. And we have to step back, all of us, and take a knee to something bigger than us and say, please help. Because I was never designed to hold up the universe. And our culture tells us that you go do you. You are the center of your world. Mm-hmm. And we even say things like, your, what's your truth? That's not even a real sentence, right? But that's, exactly. where, we've right. Land, that's where we've landed. Exactly. And when you worship, when, all, when, when you cut ties, like uh, David Foster Wallace is a guy I cite in the book who's an, one of the greatest writers of my generation and an atheist. And he even says... Hey, you you call yourself an atheist. It's not true. It's not real. We are created to worship, period. And if you worship beautiful things, if you worship beauty, you'll never be beautiful enough. And if you worship money, you'll never have enough. And you can say, you can go down that rabbit hole. If you worship achievement, you will never cross that final finish line. And so as beings created to worship, I have to know I cannot I cannot put myself at the center of the universe because I was never designed to be there. And so I'm going to tell you, you have to be in submission of something bigger than you. For me and my family, that's, God, that's Jesus. For you and your family, fine. 
for my atheist friends, it might be the birth and life and death and resurrection cycle of nature. And you're going to become part of the soil and a tree is going to grow out. Fine. You have to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And it sounds scary at first. And for people who've experienced religious trauma, they've been hurt inside of a church over the course of their life or their parents were, were, were ugly to them. And they used, you know, they beat them up with a Bible growing up. That can be scary. And at the same time, it doesn't mean it's not true. And so you have to take a knee and say, something bigger than me is at play here. Please help. And I think there's a pos- your whole body goes whoosh when it realizes it's not holding up. And that's anxiety. That's anxiousness. And mm-hmm. you're describing the human experience that I've, ex- right. I've, I've felt it. And I, yeah. I'm not trying to speak for Micah, but you felt it. And mm-hmm. John, I know you felt the, the late nights being overwhelmed or going to school and just wondering what is purpose and, and what, what am I doing? Why? Yeah. 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 Well, and, and how many pastors, how many pastors I've sat with behind closed doors. And I've said this repeatedly, Hey, your church may be struggling. You may be lost. You may be just deconstructing your own faith and you're, you're scared because you're also a pastor at the same time, but the kingdom of God's never in trouble. Yeah. You mm-hmm. might be, you might be not all right, but don't put that on him. He's good to go. He's squared up. Our, our human systems trying to navigate this might be a mess. The kingdom's never in trouble. And if I can open my hands to that, that's peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we often think of peace as some is nothing bad happening. That's not peace. Peace is like my buddies who like just rolled one of my buddies just rolled off as a Navy SEAL and. Dude, they were in the wildest situations, but their heart rates stay low because they've trained. They've got a gang. They have a purpose, a common mission. They're all in this thing together. And so peace isn't nothing bad happens. Peace is, are you whole when it when the storms do come? And man, when you open your hands and you rest in, I'm not driving the universe, that's peace, man. And then you can take that call from mom and says, Hey, I got cancer. Then you can get that call from that family that donates more money in your church to anybody. When they say, I don't like your political stance. I quit. I'm out of your church. Then you can go, okay, that stinks. We're gonna have to solve that problem, but I'm not anxious about it. I'm at Mm -hmm. peace. Mm -hmm. It's, it's what Jesus invitation is of the invitation to be anxious about nothing because we pray about everything. And Mm -hmm. I remember being a college student, uh, going to school for Bible college and to be a pastor. And um, we were learning how to do a hospital visit. And I was interning at this church. And so I would go with our pastor and they would teach us, this is how you do a hospital visit. And he just taught me to walk really slowly and to to slow down your breathing. He goes, you're going to feel like you're crawling, but you've Mm got to go slow. And we get there and he goes, here's why we're about to walk into who knows what situation. And we have one job. We're going to be a non-anxious presence. Ah, well, you were trained well, brother. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, Pastor Jerry, he would be like, Hey, we're not going to sit down. We're not going to stay too long. They might've just come out of surgery. They might've just had a baby. They might've flatlined. They're going to put on their best face for us. They might be exhausted, we're going to pray with them. We're just, our job today is to be a non-anxious presence. But I was so anxious going to my first hospital visit. <laughs> I'm like, dear Lord, what if I do this wrong? I've never done before. I dress differently. I have a different haircut than a lot of yeah. pastors. 
Sure. So I go in and I'm like, yeah, I'm here for the, can you validate my clergy parking? (laughs) And they're like, are you even a pastor? Like, where's your collar? That's a right. But, but here's the thing is like being a non-anxious presence that marked me. Mm. It really marked me. And when I saw your message of building a non-anxious life, um, what an honor Mm -hmm. to, to go at the pace of a savior who's described in one poem as the three and a half mile an hour God. Yeah. He walked everywhere. Walked everywhere. He walked everywhere. Yeah. And uh, it's funny that I mean, I'm just so grateful that that training exists out there. Um, I've run into some situations where I look at pastors in some crisis moments and I think you didn't, you didn't have that class. You learned Greek and Hebrew, but you did not have that class. Right. So good for you. The guy who trained me on crisis response and why he, his, his, he said, always walk. When someone comes running in and they're like, oh my gosh, so-and-so's going to kill themselves. And always walk because you don't want to bring your chaos to an already chaotic situation. Bring peace, bring peace where you go. And I love that. And the world needs less chaotic presence. Mm -hmm. And peaceful presence is not rewarded all the time. It's rewarded over a long time. People start to realize, man, I just feel better when that guy's around. But in the short term, he looks like apathy. It looks like that guy doesn't care. It looks like, man, if he was really fired up, he'd be ready to rock and roll. The world doesn't need any more snap into a Slim Jims, man. The world needs peace. The world needs people who are, have both their feet on the ground, even in the midst of a storm, um, who can say, I don't know the answer, and I'm scared too. Um, but I'm anchored into something bigger than, than me. I'm anchored into healthy eating habits. I'm anchored into a whole bunch of, or one or two really close friends that I can call in the middle of the night. I'm anchored into, I don't owe anybody any money. And so, okay, I get fired. That would be really awful, but I'm still going to have groceries, right? And, and it's these physical things. And man, you can walk into a situation like that and be really sad, be really heartbroken, be really scared, but you're not anxious. So good. So true. And one of the storms that I see, and you alluded to it earlier, this is like a passion of the Ramsey Solutions team that we (laughs) just resonate with and we're passionate about it too. And I mean, you talk about 1.7 or $1.8 trillion in student loans. And I mean, there's millionaires and, and billionaires. There are no trillionaires. The entire GDP of Canada is about $1.8 trillion. So when you talk about mm-hmm. that, I mean, and they're the 11th largest producing country in the globe. So, I mean, you talk about that, that's the scale that this is. And it's not just that it's affecting our country, it's affecting people. Mm-hmm. And what I'd be curious is, you know, do you see money and, and student loans or debt does that, do you feel like that impacts our anxiety, our overall mental health or well-being? Yeah, it goes back to us saying earlier, if your body knows that one wrong thing and you lose your food or your shelter, yeah. I mean, it would be failing you if it let you sleep all night. It would be failing you if it wasn't trying to get your attention because you're not safe, right? And uh, all throughout human history, debt was used as a as a form of human control as slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw uh, my, my good friend and you need to have her on the show, Jade Warshaw. She's amazing. But she, she was showing me this thing the other day that the single biggest revenue driver in the United States of America, is student loan payments. 
And so if you think about that globe, like as a, as an overarching picture, the United States has decided to enslave its citizens and extract a toll from them, like a literal toll, like a dollar and cents in the form of interest payments. That's insane that we allow that to go on. Um, and so it's not a government that cares about its people. It's a government that is making additional money beyond the tax dollars off of its people. And I'm also somebody who worked at universities for almost two decades. I believe strongly in an educated citizenry. I do. I think it's a public good. I think it's good for everybody to have an understanding of what's going on and to know how biology works at a basic level so that we can get through what happened with COVID. That was a bunch of people, all of us who didn't know up from down, right? Mm -hmm. And people could tell us anything because we didn't have a base level of education. Um, we couldn't even respond uh, with anything other than blindly doing X or ragefully doing Y. Wow. And so I believe in an educated citizenry. I don't believe in mortgaging my soul for it. Mm -hmm. And so we've bought into a lie that you have to go to college X, that you have to um, take out loans why and i live in a state that gives two years of free community college why anyone would not take advantage of that mm -hmm. is beyond me um it, it's it's madness unless you're you are fortunate enough to grow up in a house where your parents can write a, a check cool knock it out that's amazing and be happy about that but for the rest of us go to the local school where it's for free and work while you're there and then go to the next option that's best for you that you can actually afford. And so I think there's so much middle ground here. And it's just, it turned into a big political chaotic mess. And when that happens, I have to back up and look in the mirror and say, okay, what can I control? I can make a choice that my mental health, both in the, in the current and in the future, is not worth 30 years of escalating student loan payments. It's not. And so I'm going to forego four years of parties or I'm going to four year forego a really amazing school that I got in on the wait list, which was awesome. And it would be so cool to have that T-shirt. I'm not going to lie. It'd be so cool to have that um, certificate. Do you know how many people asked what college I went to when I took this job? Zero. You know how many people asked what college I went to at my last job? Zero. What college I went to, the one before that, I worked there. The college before that, zero, <laughs> right? And I was working in universities. Yep. And so I would much rather a college student go to a local state school that they can write a check for and work their butts off. Get to know the faculty, take every, make every cup of coffee for every, go to every student lecture, go to every guest speaker, take every internship, and become really, really good at your job. And yeah. yes, the data tells us that some businesses are just going to look at the top schools and the top graduates of those top schools. Cool. Merry Christmas. I'll see you in five years because that's how hard I'm going to work if that's what you want to do. Or you can look at the data of the people who work in those big giant firms and you can see that they don't really like their lives and you can suggest see that you dodged a bullet like the matrix, right? Whatever it is you want to do, get out of college, owing no money and start your life at least at zero 
And you're going to find you have peace when you sleep. You're going to find that you make different professional decisions. You're going to find when that toxic boss asks you to do something that is against your values, you look at them and you smile and you go, <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that because you don't owe anybody money and you can't, right? It's just about peace. And by the way, you find yourself being extra generous because you're not sending a bunch of student loan payments. You're able to tip that waiter at um, the Waffle House obnoxiously. Because, um, you know, he's struggling and you can be really, really generous. John, I think that's so good. It takes me back to the university that I went to. Um, and what I was able to do is work two years on college campus. And I did get to know the faculty. I did get to know the staff. I did get to know the professors. And and it was a Christian Catholic Benedictine school. And I laughed so hard the moment I started getting to know some of the sisters because they were the professors like that founded the university. And they're like, would you like to come and check it out to become one, uh, become a sister and see we have you have a heart for generosity and service and all these different things. I thought it was a joke, but I'm like, Wow, what an honor that you see these attributes of me, but I don't think I'm called to be a nun, but yeah. I love you. Um, but it was just I have so a heart fun. for service, but I also got a heart for that too. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Crazy, but I mean, huh? all those opportunities came our way. I mean, got him. Right. So I, I am not, um, I, I think there is a oh, just poo poo on college. I'm not that at all. I think 18 to 21, 18 to 22, 18 to 25 year olds need great mentors. And I think paying for mentors is good. And dude, all the information has been in a public library for the last 200 years. Yeah. All um, even Michael Jordan had a nutrition coach and a shooting coach and a fitness coach and a basketball coach. I need somebody. In fact, I'll just be super honest. I got two PhDs. I got a master's degree. I got, I got a bachelor's degree just two days ago. I called a friend of mine who was the associate dean of a college of, of theology. And I told he no longer works there. He's taken he's left higher ed and he's working in a consulting business. And I said, I want to hire you for six months and I want to start at Faith 101. I've gotten really good at pulling things apart. I want to be able to hold in my hand a tangible 3D faith that I can explain to my seven year old daughter. And my 13-year-old son, in a way that's not just a bunch of questions. I don't want to hold it. I'm going to pay you. Will you walk alongside me? And he said, I would be honored to. And so we're going to read books. I'm out of college. And I said, I, can, I have time to write you one essay a month. But here's the deal. I have high value in great mentors that hold me accountable, that give me writing projects, because that's how the human brain works. Mm -hmm. And I also know debt is slavery. And so there's got to be a third path, which is I'm going to do the best I can with what I can afford. And wherever I end up, whether it's a community college or Harvard, I'm going to go all in on becoming as sharp as a sword, being the best steward of the mind and body God gave me. Period. That's so good. So good. Speaking That's as sharp word. as a sword, are you ready for the five and five challenge for our audience today? Bring it. Bring it. All right. So I'm not five ready. Questions. I'm, ne I'm never ready, but go for it. Five <laughs> minutes on the clock here, John. The All first right. question is, um, tell us about your tattoos and are you going to finish that half sleeve into a full sleeve? Ooh. Um, it's like a half sleeve from here. I mean, I shouldn't assume. Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of them. So I, uh, I'm actually starting on the other one. I got an appointment for next week. Starting the other one. So here's the story. The story is, um, I've had several tattoos. I got a, I got some like on my back and on my ribs and stuff like that. But that's because I wanted to be just a punk rock kid, and I was an MMA wannabe, and all these other dudes had rad tattoos when I was fighting, and we all had our shirts off, and I just want to be cool. So that's the origin. 
But the last three years, I've been traveling all over everywhere. And I go to all these rad cities. And I'm such a nerd. I just sat in my hotel room reading books all day. And I had this thought, hey, you're going to get fired from this at some point. At some point, all this goes away. And you're going to be really annoyed with yourself that you went to all these cool new cities that you've never been to and you sat in a hotel room. So I thought, I got to get out there and see the world. And if I just go to a bar, I'm going to get in trouble. And if I keep going to bookstores, my wife's going to leave me because I keep coming home from every trip with five new books that she knows I'm never going to read. And so I just made a deal with myself. I'm going to get a tattoo in every new town I go to. And so I started booking tattoos and I would end up in the weirdest parts of town with the weirdest folks. And it was, I met some of the most amazing people and I got some wild tattoos and some good ones and some not good ones. And I've loved all of it. And so um, I probably won't, I'll get a few more on the one with the half. I won't go all the way down. I'm just not that cool. I'm not that guy. I'm a, I'm a YouTuber for crying out loud. If I was like in a punk band, I probably would or a fighter, but I'm not, I'm a YouTuber. Um, but I am going to get some on the other arm too. It's yeah, fun. It's amazing. <laughs> I think that um, I, I follow you on Instagram and I, I know that I've, I've think I think I thought that was the story. I've been tracking the journey in the different <laughs> cities. And- My wife was like, you could just go for a walk. Like you could <laughs> just go hiking in these towns. It'd be a lot cheaper and you'd look a lot less dumb when you got home, but it's all oh, funny. So second question is what I'm hearing you say. Help me if I'm hearing you right. There's healthy stress and there is also crippling anxiety. Yes, no. Correct. Most stressed most of the time is good. But if you don't have a context for the stress or it's pervasive and it never ends, your body will quit. It'll shut off because it's trying to protect you. Same so- as if you drive if you drive your car for a long, long, long time, hitting the gas, driving 100 miles an hour, sometimes very appropriate for your car and for you. If you drive 100 miles an hour, 24-7, 365, and never change the oil, your car will stop. Mm-hmm. That's good. No, I, I just, I, I love that we talked earlier about like the the things that we can help you with. And that's prayer, God's word, community, your mindfulness, connection, tethering into God's cause for, for you and for humanity. But mm-hmm. if we need help beyond that, or if we need to refer someone to help beyond that, when should we get help? Where can we turn to help? Um, I think the most important thing is to find another human being and say it out loud. And if that's a person that you trust, it has to be someone you trust and someone that's not going to weaponize what you've told them. That's why I often tell people don't, don't, don't be super vulnerable. Don't be overly vulnerable at work because they have to take that into consideration when they're thinking about you as a promotion. That's not because they're a bad people. That's because you told them, hey, I'm really struggling with stealing, <laughs> right? And they like, oh, I can't put you on in charge. Finances, you're in charge Our, of finances. <laughs> that's right, right. Um, um, and so I, I think finding somebody who's safe, unfortunately, we've created the loneliest generation in human history. And so often that is a professional therapist of which I see one still myself. My wife sees one. I have great, great, great value in that. Um, I don't go see a therapist just to have somebody to talk to, though. I have go see a therapist for some very specific healing or some very specific tools that I need to learn and practice. And that's what a, a therapist will help you practice. Mm-hmm. Um, being awkward will help you practice sitting in discomfort, will help you practice those challenging social situations that are way less pressure than when you actually go do it in real life. Um, and I think having a pastor or um, a spiritual advisor that you trust. Um, I call Justin McRoberts, who's a guy out of San Francisco who I love and trust. And 
Um, he's somebody when I have tough spiritual questions that I'm wrestling with my pastor, JP Conway is another person I'll go sit and talk to and say, Hey, you're my pastor of my local church. I have submitted to you. I need some wisdom on this deal. Mm -hmm. And, um, it might sound weird that I'm a public figure and I've got two doctorates and I'm a pretty smart guy. And yet I chose to go to his church. And when I did that, I chose to be in submission to him as a spiritual leader in my life. That's a choice I made. And if I fight him or if I dishonor him, that's not cool. That's, that's not me being the person that I want to be. And so um, I think it's the important thing is have somebody that you trust and that is safe for most of us. That is going to be a professional of some sort. Um, if you work really hard, which everybody should, you should have two or three people of the same gender that you can sit down and have nachos or a drink or go for a walk or go for a hike or something where you can say, here's the good stuff. Here's the bad stuff. And here's the really dark stuff. Um, and you don't have to look them in the eye. Some I've heard it said women often do it kneecap to kneecap and men do it shoulder to shoulder. Like I don't, that's fine. I don't care, but you have to have people that you can talk openly with. Good. Excellent. Well, here's the curveball. If you could ask Josiah and myself one question today, what would you ask us or want to know? Mm, what's the hardest thing in your marriage this season? Mm. Oh, man. I'll go first. I would say, so we started as a nonprofit organization. We're a little over a year old. I think we're just kind of reaching the end of our fundraising. And I think that fundraising mindset has definitely taken a toll on our capacity in a way where it's like, kind of like a kid in the backseat, like, are we there yet? <laughs> mm-hmm. While still filling the car with gas and being like, we're not done until we're done. And we, when you are done, you still maintain, you keep raising, like it's not going to stop. So I think that of just really not putting the ministry or let's just say the nonprofit at the center of our marriage and keeping Christ at the center, because there's so many things pulling. I think that for me personally, I think that's the thing that's been like, not blissfully unaware. We've been, I've been very aware. So just fighting for that, what needs to be first and what truly does come first and who is our source. Mm. So. My thought in addition to that, but more specific to me is Micah is amazing. And she brings something to the table and she, in our marriage, in our family, she sees the world in a different way than me. And I think my regret or a failure I've had is trying to change who she is or what she does when it's like, you know what, if we were both the same, if we saw like (laughs) the exact same, it would be a pretty boring story. It would be, Mm. one of us would be unnecessary. And so I think for me, it's, it's that surrender, not even just like compromise or negotiating, but just like, Hey, you know what, the way you see the world, that's awesome. I'm not trying to change you. I'm trying to change me and I'm trying to be more like Christ. Like, I, I think that is, yeah. you know, talking, talking for us or for me, I think that's it. That's Very good. cool, man. Well, thanks well, for thanks sharing for that. Awesome. <laughs> you bet. Okay. Question four or five is um, your, your favorite treat. I know you're fanatical about like healthy nutrition, so it could be that, or maybe it's um, something that you just like to treat yourself to. Oh man, uh, I, I've got like a very unhealthy addiction to gummy candies of any sort, jelly beans, uh, gummy worms, ju- gummy anything. Um, and then this morning I had a new, I, I was reminded of an old addiction. I feel like an old like drug user that's been sober. And then I was walking out of, um, I take my son to breakfast every week and we were walking out and there was a little pumpkin 
you know, like they have like a little candy because it's Halloween season. And dude, it was filled with those little craft caramels. Ah, yep. Oh, dude. They're, I forgot how like sugar laced with cocaine and heroin they are. Kind of get stuck in and your so, Oh, I know, but you can chew them all day. Oh my gosh. So um, anything candy and cheap, uh, terrible calories I'm into. Oh my gosh. Okay. Here's the last and final question. If you could leave the listener with one word of advice or wisdom, what would you want to leave them with today? That they are probably whatever they're going through. They're probably not broken. Good. Their bodies are probably working exactly as they should, which is actually a scarier proposition. Because instead of being able to go to the mechanic and just saying, hey, will you fix this tire? It's harder when the mechanic comes out and says, yeah, you got to change how you drive. And so I want you to ask yourself if you're feeling anxious. What is the state of my relationships? What is the state of my physical health? When's the last time I sat down with somebody and said I'm struggling with my faith? What is the state of your calendar? and your clutter and your finances. Let's be honest about those things. And then your body being anxious, you're going to go, oh yeah, thank goodness. My body's working great trying to get my attention. And let's start dealing with the fires in our house, not just getting mad at the smoke alarm that's always going off. So good. What a note to leave us on. Our hope for you as the listener to take it back to the very beginning is that you would believe that you are worthy of being well, that God has a picture mm -hmm. of health and holistic well-being for you. The banner over your life is love. And we've enjoyed this conversation today with Dr. John Deloney. We hope you'll check out the resources at Ramsey Solutions and his latest book, How You Can Build and Live a Non-Anxious Life. This is the FYI Podcast. <laughs>